Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Today's reading is coming from Mark, chapter 15, verses 6 to 39. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from, in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You know, you who will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with a sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed 
his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn from two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, that this was uh, this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this is the Son of God. Uh, good morning, my name's Simon, and uh, it's good to be with you on this Good Friday, uh, this strange Easter 2020, as we navigate together COVID-19 and the changes that we have to do given uh, the circumstances of, of social distancing and self-isolation and the like. But uh, it's good to be with you um, either way. Some years ago, I gave a talk at the Sydney University uh, on Islam and Christianity. Uh, it was uh, more or less a comparison of the two worldviews, uh, their similarities and their differences. A large number of Muslim students came, a large number of Christian students came, and a smattering of people who were sort of neither there. Um, I think it was a fair, I think it was reasonable I think I, as I described, the beliefs of these two faiths. But when I finished the talk, I was standing up the front and uh, the president of the Muslim Society, who was actually a good friend of mine, and I was studying physiotherapy at the time with him, he came up to me and he was really upset. Uh, but here's the thing, right? He wasn't upset. He wasn't angry about what I'd said about Islam. He wasn't upset about what I'd said about Muhammad. He was really upset about what I said about Jesus. In particular, he was angry about what I'd said about Jesus' death on the cross. He basically said, how could you believe, Simon, Almighty Allah, that Almighty Allah could allow his prophet Jesus, a peace be upon him, to hang there stark naked, uh, with flies buzzing around him, with families staring at him. Almighty Allah would never allow a prophet of his to die such a humiliating death. If you know the religion of Islam, uh, you'll know that Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. According to their tradition, Jesus was whisked away by God, a little bit like Elijah, up into heaven, um, and that kind of Jesus' face was sort of transposed onto someone else. They believe it might have actually been Judas. Uh, so when Jesus was crucified, arrested, it was actually not Jesus, it was actually Judas. That's what they believe. In Islam, right, um, prophets are never shamed. Prophets are never humiliated, never wrongly condemned. They're always vindicated, always triumphant. So my friend, right, from the Muslim Society uh, at Sydney University understood an aspect of the cross that many Christians don't. You see, we think that the crucifixion was mainly about pain, and it was terribly painful, a terribly painful way to die. But the Romans devised this form of punishment, not to maximise pain, but to maximise shame. It was designed to utterly humiliate the criminal. And I'm reminded at this moment of the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where we read, For the joy that was set before him, that is Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know, that's why many in the early church were ashamed of the cross. They were really happy to preach and proclaim Jesus' miracles, preach and proclaim the resurrection, the ascension and, and Jesus' return, but, but not the cross. The Apostle Paul, he says, I am not ashamed of the cross. I preach Christ and him crucified. So this morning, as we come to the cross, as we come to the death of the Son of God, I want us to see three things from Mark chapter 15. First, the shame of the cross. Second, the salvation at the cross. And then I want us to think about the soldier 
at the cross. So first, the shame of the cross. If you have Mark open in front of you, Mark chapter 15, verse 16, we we meet the mocking soldiers. We pick up the narrative in the praetorium, the palace of Herod, the governor, um, the soldiers, they've stripped Jesus naked and they're having some fun with him. You know, this guy thinks he's a king, so let's let's treat him as a king. And so they throw on him a a purple robe. Oh, a king king needs a crown, right? So they make him a, a crown of thorns. They place it on his head and they drive it into the flesh of his skull. No doubt extremely painful, but that's not the big idea. The big thing they're doing is they're mocking Jesus. They're shaming Jesus. And then uh, we hear the mocking voices of the soldiers. Hail, King of the Jews. They mock him. They hit him. They beat him again and again with clubs, with staffs. And to add to his humiliation, they spat on him. But again... Even the hitting, the spitting, was about shame. Yes, crucifixion was painful, but that's not what the Gospels emphasise. The soldiers stripped him, the soldiers mocked him, the soldiers beat him, they spat on him, they shamed him. That theme is picked up again in chapter 15, verse 21, where Jesus is required to carry his own cross um, through the mocking crowds. They lead him up to the hill outside of Jerusalem to Golgotha, which is known as the place of the skull or the Calvarium, which we know as Calvary. Notice again, there's no mention in Mark's gospel of physical agony. Matthew in his gospel records this. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. The chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. Again and again and again, Jesus faces abuse and mockery. Yes, to be nailed to a cross was painful, but mainly it was shameful. You know, Romans intended uh, to, to maximise the shame of its criminals. We in the West, in our city, we tend to minimise the shame of the criminals, but not for the Romans. They hung their criminals stark naked out in public for all to see. You know, even Mel Gibson's film from many years ago now, The Passion of the Christ, misses this point. In, in that stark and brutal film, uh, the pain of Jesus' death is really emphasised. But when Jesus died on the cross, Mel Gibson portrays Jesus with a loincloth around his waist to cover his genitals. I mean, you can't have a, a naked man up on the big screen, but the Romans did. They put the crosses in prominent locations so everyone could see the shame. You know, on a hill outside of cities, on the main road into cities, you could see these men hanging stark naked. And they'd often leave the bodies of these criminals on the crosses to rot. The birds would come along and peck out their eyes. Dogs would circle at the bottom. Sometimes the Romans even crucified dead criminals. You know, why would you do that if the main goal was pain? Because the main purpose was shame. This is someone's father. This is someone's brother. This is someone's son. This is someone's Messiah. Someone's saviour. Someone's Lord. So notice with me this morning, this Good Friday, the shame. 
But second, notice the salvation. We've heard the voices of the soldiers. We've, we've heard the voices of the criminals. We've heard the voices of the crowds. And with one voice, they mock the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear two other voices, the voice of God the Father and the voice of Jesus. And what they say in Mark 15 explains to us the significance and the meaning of the cross of Jesus, his death. First, God the Father speaks. He'll speak twice, but he'll speak not with words, but with actions. And we're told in verse 33 of Mark chapter 15 that from the sixth hour, that's noon, through to the ninth hour, 3 p.m., darkness came over the whole world. The prophet Amos had warned of the coming judgment of God upon Israel, God's people. He said in Amos chapter 9, In that day I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. It was a warning of coming judgment. So God sends this blanket of darkness over the land for three hours. And by doing that, he is speaking words of judgment. But the question is, like, who is God judging? Judging the the soldiers who beat and mocked Jesus? Judging the crowds who who mocked him? The rebels who showed him no, no respect? No. Mark 15, verse 34, Jesus' words tell us who God is judging. Jesus says with a loud voice at 3 p.m., Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's been three hours of darkness, three hours of judgment, three hours of cursing, and it's all focused on Jesus. Now, let's make two things really clear. In Jesus' suffering and his shame and his abandonment by God, the Trinity was not ripped apart. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are together still. Jesus still knows he is the Son of God. In another gospel, Jesus will say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And also, Father, he'll say, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's still the Son, and he still knows God the Father. And secondly, Jesus, by saying these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not like he's lost his faith. He knows that after his suffering, he will be vindicated. He says earlier at multiple points in Mark's gospel, I'll be handed over. I'll be beaten. I'll be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. He knows that he will rise. He knows that he will return to the Father. But let's not minimize the awfulness of Jesus' suffering in those hours. You know, if I lose my wallet, I get frustrated. If I lose my phone, I get, I get anxious and I get upset. If I lose a dear friend, I'm heartbroken. If I lose my wife, who's been my constant friend and companion and lover for over 17 years, my pain would be beyond words. But if I were to lose my heavenly father, whom I've been in perfect relationship with for eternity, well, no words could express that. Jesus' sorrow is real. Jesus' sense of abandonment was genuine. As he bore the wrath of God, he bore it for you and for me. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you and I never have to say that or feel that again? That we would never face God's abandonment, ever. 
And with another loud cry, Jesus, Mark chapter 15, verse 37, breathes his last. And as he cries out and breathes his last, the Father speaks again, not with words, but with an action. We're told in verse 38 that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that kept apart the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that part where God symbolically dwelt. That part where no one else could go except the high priests on one day per year. That curtain, much like an electric fence around the holy place. Touch it, you die. Enter at your own risk. In that moment when Jesus breathed his last, the curtain was torn in two. God effectively saying to you, to me, to a hurting world, to a broken world, come, the way is open, come into my presence, dwell with me forever. Your sins have been atoned for. He's saying that in that event, the days of temples and curtains and sacrifices and priests and altars and incense are all over. The reality has come. The true sacrifice, the true high priest, the true temple has come. Before it was stay out. Now God is saying, come in. The lost have been found. The enemy now a friend. The slave is now a son or a daughter. We're God's friends, forgiven through the cross of Christ. And finally, Mark records the response of a man, the soldier. He's a centurion, that the man in charge, the supervising soldier, he's probably been there from the very beginning, from the arrest. He probably took part with the other soldiers in mocking and beating and, and, and disrespecting Jesus. He, he's seen the mocking crowds. Of course, for three hours, he stood there in darkness. He stood and he thought. And he understood. He understood, unlike Peter, back in chapter 8 of Mark's gospel, Jesus says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus says to Peter, you know, the Christ is going to be crucified, he's going to suffer and he's going to die. Peter said, no, 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 there can't be such a thing as a crucified Messiah. You can't die like that. Peter couldn't understand it. But this man did, this soldier did. He understood that this man truly was the son of God. And his response tells us, his response tells you and me that if you want to meet God the Father, if you want to meet God the Son, you must go to the cross. If you want to be God's friend, you must go to the cross. If you want to know what the Christian faith is all about, you must go to the cross. They are the previous Pope. Pope Benedict said this, Christianity is not an intellectual system. It's not a collection of dogmas. It's not a set of morals. It's actually an encounter. It's a love story. And I think he's right. And God showed his love for us through the death of his son on the cross. You know, a missionary friend of mine has four grown-up children. Um, His oldest daughter is named Pippa. Uh, When Pippa was eight years old, um, she came home from school one day. She did something naughty. Um, Her mum told her off, and in a half, she ran away. Uh, Next door, she ran away next door into the car park, literally next to their house. Um, Her parents didn't know that that was where she'd gone. Um, Her parents began to search for her for hours. It was dark, the sun was going down, and her parents grew really worried. They involved even the neighbours to help find Pippa. Finally, one of the neighbours found Pippa 
huddles behind a car in the car park. Now, this is what Pippa said. I don't know how long I sat there in my anger, but it got dark and I got tired. I didn't want to sit there alone anymore, but I was far too stubborn to go back. Finally, I heard someone at the gate and a torch shone right into the corner where I was huddled. My neighbour picked me up. He didn't scold me. Just came over and carried me back to my parents. Seeing my mother's tears, I promised I'd never run away again. Pippa goes on. I've always been stubborn, whether it was running from my parents or running from my God. I don't know how long I would have stayed out there in the dark if my neighbour hadn't come out and found me. I'm sure I would have kept running from God all my life if he hadn't come out and got me in my stubborn state. As a child, I knew that being a Christian meant you had to be good. I was good, mostly. But God's standards seemed way too high. I was the preacher's kid from a missionary family, but the rest of my life was mine, and I thought I deserved to live my life as I wanted. I put up a good Christian front. But in my heart, I was running further and further from God. So my double life continued. My life trying to find my place in the world, trying to fit in, trying to be appreciated. Then my life fell apart. Out of complete desperation, I gave up the fight. Just like my neighbour, when I was eight years old, Jesus sought me out. He picked me up in my sinful state and carried me back to my father. But he did much more than that. He washed me with his blood. He cleansed me from all my sin. And he presented me before the Father, righteous. I love that story. Pippa's testimony is wonderful because it reminds us that at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of the gospel story, is the cross. The place where our sins are forgiven, where we are washed clean. You know, I read lots of books. Many of you probably know that probably read too many. But here's one thing, right? I rarely read a book more than once. Rarely. Uh, Similar with movies. I like movies, but I rarely watch movies twice. Once is enough. But there's one story that I love to hear over and over and over again. I feel like I'm a bit of a child. I feel like I'm a little bit like my little Fletcher. Dad, can you read me that again? And it's the story of the cross. I love hearing the story of the cross. I want to keep hearing it. I want to keep speaking it. I want to keep trusting it. And my dear brothers and sisters, keep going back to the cross. Keep trusting the cross. Keep speaking the cross. And keep singing the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, Behold the man upon a cross, my sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Come, O sinner, come and see Christ the Lord upon a tree. See the crown of thorns adorn the king who labours to breathe in agony. Come, O sinner, come and see what our God became to set us free. And when I think, That God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. 
Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.